E-S-N-Y. Sports NY production with your host tonight, Jeffrey Campbell, recording on Tuesday, May 11th, a little before 8 p.m. Eastern time. Tonight, we are discussing the Washington Wizards, one of the NBA's hottest teams uh, in, in recent weeks. To help us break that down, we have a return guest tonight, a contributor to the Wiz of Odds fan-sided uh, site, founder of the Working Title podcast as well, uh, Jack Skolnick. What's going on, Jack? How you doing? What's up, Jeff? Nice to be back. It's nice to be back. What's going on? Not much, man. Um, you know, it, it, these these last five, six games, depending on where you are in the season, it, it's it's everything matters, man. As as a Knicks fan, I'm I'm biting my nails. You know, watching these games, hoping we stay in the four or five seed. I know you guys are trying to inch up in that that play in spot as well. A lot is going on right now, man. It's it's pretty crazy. A fun time, man. Never thought I'd uh, be this uh, roped into basketball for playoff seating as opposed to just watching regular playoff games. So it's been a fun season. I think that's probably the, the best place to start. What I really wanted to pick your brain on to start this pod is basically April. I'm going through the Wizards schedule. And even um, I, I knew that the Wizards started playing well a little before that. And, and I think they finished April 12 and 5. But in early April, they racked off eight in a row. What mm-hmm. changed when, you, when you're watching the games? What really changed during that win streak? Well, I think that the major, the biggest benefactor was, you know, obviously start to gel, right? I don't like giving them a lot of excuses, but, you know, it was, you have Russell Westbrook, who is, you know, an all NBA player. And, you know, he said he was playing on a foreign quad, right? To start the season. He was playing very poorly. I was, just as critical of his play as anybody else. But when you play on a torn quad, you know, you're not going to get a whole lot out of that. You shouldn't be playing to begin with. That's all another conversation. And then they get hit with the COVID stuff. As you guys all remember, the Wizards got decimated by COVID. You know, everybody, it seems like, got it. It's a bunch of games. So it's, it's not easy to have, you know, your second best player plus big restrictions. Giving, when you have a team trying to gel and try to get it together, you know, it's tough, especially in certain season. The, you know, everything's a little bit different. I don't like, like I said, I don't like giving them a lot of credit or a lot of excuses, but, you know, it's tough. Um, they start to tell, start to play better. Um, the biggest thing for the run has been the trade for Daniel Gafford at the deadline, man. He has been a real deal player. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, he's been, he's been very good and he's helped the team. He's not a star player, but he's, you know, he's, the thing about him that I like outside of his place, he's just a high energy guy. Right. I think any team that kind of struggles defensively, you know, whether their team is full of good defenders or not, if you get a high energy guy who plays defense, I think that's going to, you know, as you play basketball, I think that's going to inspire you more to, to you know, watch the defense. And Daniel Gaff has done exactly that. You know, he's come in, he's rebounded, he's blocked shots, you know, he's, he's, doing, he's done a great job. And I think between Russ starting to be fully healthy, the team really starting to get that. You know, that, that gel that they've been waiting for, you know, although it took them a little bit, I think that's 
come together. Just wishing we been Yeah, Daniel Gafford is a really interesting player to me, man. Like I remember, I uh, the year he got drafted, I watched a couple of his games in Arkansas, and I, I really didn't like too much what I saw. And it was funny; it was early in the season, like. He honestly looked like he had no idea what he was doing on a basketball court. He was super athletic, um, ran the court well, you know, um, clearly was a, a big lob threat. And then he gets drafted to Chicago. And um, I'll be honest, I didn't really see too much of him there. But even before he got drafted, the guys, a lot of people that wanted to take him higher were like, just just wait on him. Just wait on him. And, and there's going to be something there that you can work with. And I'm happy that he it's it's looking like that um, with the Wizards, because if you're going to be around a guy who's going to draw a lot of attention like Brad Beal, if you're going to be around someone who can break down the defense still like Russ Ken, you're going to get your opportunities. So I think that's probably where he's he's finding his role. And that's also kind of a, a big thing, I feel like, for young players, because sometimes you come in. Uh, I'm not saying I don't think he necessarily had a lot of expectations, but sometimes you come in and you want to do too much. But I think he's really succeeding in his role right now. Yeah, I think that the big thing for him is he's a he's a specialist, right? He's not a he's not an all star center, right? He's a lob rim running, you know, defensive guy, right? So with that, you need to make sure that you have the right pieces around him in order for him to develop that you want him to. So when you have two guys like Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, who you every possession, you have to make sure that they're not getting to the basket. You know, Brad, Russ is, you know, going by nine people, you know, because, you know, Russ and Brad, Brad become a much better man. Russ is already a great person. Right. When you have two guys who not only are a threat to score, but are, you know, good enough to dish as well. That's, you know, the type of player that Daniel Gaffer needs to be around. Chemistry with Russ has been unreal to be honest with you. You know, Russ has never really played, if you go back and look at Steve Adams and, you know, Nick Collison and Clint he's never really had a lot of who can really be athletic enough to run the floor with him as 100 miles an hour, which Gafford can do. And I think between those two, they've just kind of been waiting for each other, right? It was a, it was a relationship that needed to happen. Um, and he's come in and he, you know, he cleans up the offensive glass. Russ and Brad are able to get to the, you know, get to the, you know, get to the bucket, and he cleans it up if he's there. He can run the floor with Russ. He can run the floor with Brad. And all the attention that you have to put on Russ and Brad because they're such talented scorers gives Gaffer the clean up, which is, you know, outside of his, you know, rim, you know, protecting presence, his biggest skill set is just is just on the offensive glass you know so when you're when you have russ who's who's driving one on three you know gafford can pick up those rebounds and, and put it in for a putback so it's just i think for guys like that especially for young prospects especially bigs as bigs are as we see not as important as they used to be i think it's important to put them around the right type of players and i think that's the issue in chicago when you have and Lowry and guys like that who are kind of just doing their own thing, it becomes harder for guys like Gafford to admit it because there's not as much involvement that he can really have. So I think him coming to Washington was probably the best case scenario for both the Wizards and for him. So you brought up uh, Brad Beal before, and I'm sure this is not the only time we're going to discuss him on the pod tonight, but something that I saw recently that came up, um, essentially this, this you know, much ado about nothing Twitter beef between him and uh, Kent Bazemore. But I wanted to get your thoughts on it. So essentially, we have um, Steph Curry, who looks like he's pretty much going to win the scoring title this year. 
Yep. And you have uh, Kent Basemore, who I'm going to be honest, I've never really been, been a big fan of in my <laughs> life, just from a personal standpoint. He's always seemed like a real goofy, kind of corny dude. Yep. Um, you know, good for him that he got a little bit of a nice contract after he had some some decent years. I forget whether it was with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he essentially comes out in a press conference and says that, you know, we got guys hurting their hamstrings to keep up, essentially saying that Bradley Beal is going to miss games so that his his scoring average doesn't get hurt enough. Um, Beal's, Beal saw this and went off, called him a clown, said he doesn't focus on anyone but himself. And uh, interestingly enough, this morning, I had this question ready for you, but then this morning I saw that it seems like there's actually been some history between the two of them before. Mm-hmm. Bradley Beal was driving to the hoop. It looks like yep. Baysmore kind of pushed him. Um, what are your overall thoughts on this? And I, I didn't realize that there was actually some history between them before. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. So the more I thought about it, the more that it, it made sense. I'll be honest, I think Brad did a little bit too much. Um, like he went on first take this morning and they were talking about it. I thought that was a little bit over the top. I thought a couple of tweets, you know, I, he, he has every right to, to talk to Kent Bazemore after Bazemore said that. Right. You know, if it was me, I'd be in the same boat. You know, it's disrespectful. You're, you're somebody who's, you know, it's the Drake lyric where you're talking about, you know, bench players talking like starters when it doesn't really make any, you know, doesn't make any sense. So Brad had every right to be upset. He had every right to, to, you know, lash out at him. Thought it went a little too far for my liking, but I'm not going to give him too much too much shit on that because you know I, it, it's tough and you know you got some it's a whole other conversation right um they do have history the the wizards have a really weird like not beef but they had a really weird run with the hawks where they were just kind of like it wasn't super like blown out of proportion like in the media and stuff like that but like Kenny Moore used to get into it with brad marquis morris used to get into it with paul Millsap. Baysmore had to run in with John Wall a couple times. Like it's clear that like there's a little, there's definitely some history with Baysmore and the Wizards in particular. So the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I'm wondering if this is Brad like kind of letting out his frustration from over the time, which is also completely understandable. But it, it that's the kind of player that Ken Baysmore always seemed like to me. He's kind of a he's he's a, he's a get under your skin type of guy. So I'm not like overly surprised by that. You know. I'm not gonna call him a dirty player, but you know, the runnings he's had with the Wizards, him cutting or you know, touching, you know, pushing somebody when they jump. So the more I thought about it, the the less I was never like saying that Brad shouldn't say anything, but the more sense it made to me as to why he kind of kept going because I think the animosity is still kind of there from a couple of years ago just between not only Brad but just the Wizards in general because you know, he ran into the Hawks a couple of times in the playoffs and always had some interesting meetings. So. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, th- there's definitely seems like there's some type of residual there on, on, on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question I wanted to ask you is just besides the win streak and, and them kind of coming back into this playoff chase, what's been the biggest surprise for you about this season? I, I feel like, you know, especially since Thomas Bryant goes down, even Denny, mm-hmm. and he, uh, I know he wasn't having like a super great season, but those are, those are two players that were uh, very key fixtures in the rotation, at least for a majority of the season to lose them and to still be doing this is, is um, pretty special, I think. But so outside of the winning streak, what is, what has been something that's really caught your eye? 
Um, I think there's two. There have been two. The first one, obviously, going off the Gafford thing, has just been the improvement in the defense. This was a notoriously horrendous, like, all-time horrible defensive team. Um, and they kind of found this little niche between Gafford and Alex Len and Robin Lopez in this, like, little three-center, not lineup, but three-center rotation where the defense is not atrocious, which is unfortunately an improvement. You know, after they got between, like, the first 10 games after they got Gafford in particular, and it was a group effort, obviously, with Robin they were like the second highest rated defense in the NBA, like from the deadline until like 10 or 12 games in, which like you look at the stats and you're like, you know, I remember I was writing about it and they were four writing the article and by the time I finished it after the game, they already worked their way up to second. So I think that, you know, they've, and it's tailed off a little bit since then, but it gives you hope that, you know, Gafford at the least will be on the roster next year. You know, Len shouldn't be, you know, very expensive next year. Robin Lopez is cheaper than he is now. So it's kind of like you could theoretically bring that back. You know, and I'm not necessarily saying that they need those three, but it's, you know, it's interesting to kind of try to, you know, anchor your defense. Um, and that's one that we actually talked about on here is Raul Neto, who is big. <laughs> I, I don't know what, I don't know if he's in Space Jam juice or whatever it is, but this kid or this guy has been unreal. You know, he's a he's a very um, what's the best way to play? He's just always given one hundred and ten percent. When you play next to Russell Westbrook and you got guys pumping for steals and diving on the floor and you know hitting shots, you know it's it's kind of he's really worked his way into a three guard lineup with Brad and, and Russ, and he's been you know a, just a great all around player. You know he. he you know, like I said, he's on floor. He's playing defense. You know, not I'm concerned that because he's on the minimum, that they're not going to be able to bring him back next year because he's going to come in some money. But between the defense and Neto, it's been it's been an interesting season to say the least. But it's been been very fun to watch. Yeah, Jack, and, and on that vein, I mean, um, you, you talk about some of the unsung heroes that have maybe had, you know, more of an imprint on this season and have contributed to this winning streak and, and the Wizards really turning around their season. Um, that kind of leads me to the next kind of character in the show that I really want to discuss, Scotty Brooks. Man, we, we talked about Scotty Brooks a lot in your previous um uh, you know, um, appearance on the podcast. And I, I, I read that it was reported that he is on a playoff or bus mandate in order to keep his job. He's in the last year of his deal. Um, I think you were, I think you were pretty diplomatic in, in your first appearance. It is it, clear that you're not happy with the way that he coaches the team. Uh, rotations were crazy in the beginning of the season, very offensive minded, zero defense at all. Uh-huh. If this team makes the playoffs, do you think that is enough for him to keep his job? Do you think he should keep his job? Um, I know when you came on last time, it was, it was again, Scott Brooks was brought on to entice Kevin Durant to come back home to D.C. That uh-huh. obviously did not happen. Here we are. And it's one of those situations where it's like I almost liken it to what's going on in Minnesota a little, in a little, a little bit. Uh, D'Lo was out for a, a large majority of the time. 
mm-hmm. now that he's back and playing somewhat well with Cat, it almost gives the front office and the fans and the team well, like, oh, let, listen, we're going to run it back with this with this squad. They're going to be fine. But I, I'm not so sure if that's the case. So what do you think about this winning streak and what it it should say about Scott Brooks's ability to coach this team? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> – I think that regardless that that's the problem with the wizards and, and winning games and, and going on these runs is that it entices the front office to stick with things that realistically don't work. Um, you know, outside of Brooks, I still think that they should be, it's one of the things where I still think that they should tank, but if they're going to win, if they're going to compete, it's, you know, obviously you want to see them win games and go on these runs. Cause you know, they don't want to tank. Right. Um, Scott Brooks, I'm afraid that if they make the playoffs, he might get a, he might get a new contract. The the part that's interesting is Fred Katz, who's the you know the brilliant writer for the Athletic who covers the Wizards. He had mentioned that he didn't think there was any chance that Scott Brooks would get an extension. So everybody's like, oh great, you know he's not coming back. But then he came back a couple of weeks later and he was like, well don't well don't take that you know too seriously because that doesn't mean that he won't get a new contract, right? So it's like. The playoff or bus mandate is a big thing with the Wizards. You know, their Ernie Grunfeld, their former GM, had the same problem a couple of years ago. That's why he got fired because like didn't make the playoffs. Um, I Scott Brooks. I don't know if you watched the game last night where Russ uh, got the triple double record, but perfect example. So Russell Westbrook plays this masterful game. Like he was, you know, typical. You couldn't have asked for a better game on a on a game. You're going to set a record like that. And game closes out. They have a timeout. They have seven seconds. Russ gets the rebound, right? Which, you know, off the rip, you're like, okay, let's see where this goes. You can see very quickly that Brooks is like, go, go, go. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't want to call the timeout. He wants Russ to go. Which, you know, in basketball fashion, it's not like the worst idea. Until you look down the court, if you looked from where Russ was going, the trajectory where he's going, there was four Hawks already back on defense. Right. So you have Russell Westbrook, who's, a, you know, the, the, one of the fastest players in the NBA and a great, you know, attacker trying to go one on four. You know, if, if there's a if there's a lane, you know, I get it. You know, go for it. You know, I'm personally, if I was coaching a team and I had an opening, even if it was the end of the game, you know, I, I'm telling my guys to run. But not when you can clearly see that there's four guys back on defense, even if it's Russell Westbrook, it doesn't make a difference. Um, and then Russ ends up taking a contested three that which is not a good look. And you kind of think about it and you're like, what if Scott Brooks calls a timeout with seven seconds? The other thing about Scott Brooks that didn't make any sense is he's been solid calling up end of game plays over the past couple of months. Cause he's been, that's been like his one strong suit. So it's kind of like, what's the thought process here? You're, you know, you're leaning on your strength versus what exactly, right? right? You're just telling Russ to go one on four. He goes one on four and you basically lose the game because you could have called the timeout or, you know, and drawing something up as opposed to Russ going one-on-four to try to win the game after he played this magical game. It just it was an ugly ending that could have been easily prevented, which I think is Scott Brooks's biggest issue. Is there's so many things where, like, as basketball people, we can see, and even as, like, you know, I played, you know, high school basketball, even minor, you know, tactics that you think of when you played when you were younger, like, why doesn't Scott Brooks use any, any of those? Right. And it's just there's so many things that are easily preventable for the Wizards from a coaching it's just kind of like it doesn't really make sense you know their their two color analysts last night the, the hawks went on like a you know 12 nothing run and they were like could you use a timeout here like that's what the that's what the commentators were saying another possession another possession another possession 
they called a timeout and it, it ballooned to, you know, 17 to nothing. And the commentators were like, probably could have used that three possessions ago when I scored six straight points. So it's just all very easily preventable. If he goes to the, if they go to the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a new contract. I'm, I'm not a fan. I, I think he's a horrendous coach. I think this team, interestingly enough, if they had a legitimate coach or a guy who at least ran some sets, ran, you know, some defensive scheme type of stuff, I think this team next year fully gelled with Bryant coming back and like the MLE with some, you know, with some MLE, you know, type of guys could be a very interesting, you know, four, five, six, seven seed in the in the East and even avoid the play-in tournament with the proper coaching and this team, because it's going to be a similar team next year. The the Brooks thing kind of bothers me. The other, the other, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but the other thing with Brooks that bothers me in all this is like, you know, these things that, that Brooks had, the problems that he has in his coaching style become even more microscoped in the playoffs. So like late game execution, which he is horrendous at, is what you need to be, you know, primed for in the playoffs. And when you don't have a coach who's prepared for that, you know, and you and you lose game two when you could have won game two, that, that, that changes the series for you. You know, and, and Scott Brooks could literally coach this team out of a playoff series, theoretically, if he does continue to do the things that he does. So. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like, um, well, actually, you know what, then, then let me ask you this. So um, if Scott Brooks is let go and they, they don't bring him back, do you have faith in the front office to hire someone? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is right now in the NBA, it seems like there's, there's two different routes that front offices and, and ownership go. They either opt mm-hmm. for the young assistant from another coaching tree or a team that has been fairly successful, or they opt for, you know, somebody who's a little more veteran. What do you think this team needs? And do you have faith in the front office to hire the right guy? Um, so I have faith that Tommy Shepard, who's the GM, who's kind of had a really weird tenure so far. I trust him to hire a better coach than Brooks if they decide not to go with Brooks. Um, you know, I think that Brooks is kind of at the bottom of the barrel and that he'll kind of, as because he makes the playoffs or whatever the case is, they'll kind of see that as like, Oh, you know, he's on the uptick. Let's give him another year. Um, if, if, if they look at him and go, now nah, we need to go somewhere else. I don't think it can get much worse than Scott Brooks. If we're being completely honest, I just, between the, because you're talking about a guy who's got like, he, he is not very good in game. Right. And then he doesn't develop the young guys that they have. So it's kind of like you're not good for the veterans from the in-game execution and you're not good at developing the youngsters. You know, can it get any worse? You know, could you find a better veteran head coach who utilizes Brad and Russ better? Or could you use a young head coach who's better at developing Rui Hachimura or Danny Abiza or Daniel Gafford? I don't I don't think that would be that hard to to move on from. But that's why I'm so nervous about the playoff implications because it's like you know, they make the playoffs technically three times in his five years as the, as the head coach. And that from the Wizards perspective is, you know, they're a mediocrity franchise. They look at the playoffs as a success. So they, you know, they might go, mm, maybe we'll give them another shot. Right. So it's just one of those things where I think anybody that they hire would probably be a slight improvement. If they just need to pick a direction. That's their biggest problem right now. Are they all in on the vets? Like, do they want to trade their first round pick this year to bring in, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, Miles Turner, you know, someone like that, or do they want to kind of, you know, because they're kind of like taking a young 
roster plus Brad and Russ with them moving forward. So they have, you know, they have Rui and they have Danny and they have all these young guys plus a couple of veterans. It's kind of a weird mix of a team. So what they really need to do is just figure out which direction they're going to go in is, is, my, is my thought. So Miles Turner would be very, very interesting on this team. I think mm-hmm. be, uh, and, you know, judging from the tea leaves of the indie situation right now, I, I think there may be a lot of overhauling this summer and Miles Turner yeah. would be very much uh, a coveted asset for a lot of teams, I think. For sure. Um, I feel like this kind of leads us to uh, a Russell Westbrook part of, of the conversation. And he did break the triple-double record last night, which is a huge accomplishment. And we talked a little bit about Russ last time you were on as well. But I feel like, especially now since he's broken the record, I know you've seen it probably on, especially in NBA Twitter, the last couple of days, and it always happens with Russ, there's this massive conversation about whether his actual production and play on the court leads to winning. Um, it's been an up and down season. How did you feel about him before he was traded here? How do you feel about him now? And the other part of this that I want to ask you about is when we spoke last time, you talked a lot about him being brought in to fix the culture and, and having his leadership be a big part of the reason he's brought here one season in and I know it's hard to you know judge off one season but um do you think he's he's done that do you think he's changed at least part of the culture here absolutely a hundred percent I think he's been the I think he's been the 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 trendsetter for resetting the culture you know it's tough you know because I think I mentioned it last time but John Wall is my favorite basketball player of all time right you know I'm a you know I'm a Wizards fan first but you got to look at the guy who did the most for your team and that's what John did for 10 years but and I think I mentioned it you know when the trade happened it wasn't you know I was never like oh they lost the trade this is horrible Russ is going to be bad blah 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 you know it was kind of one of those things where the worst you were going to get even with the trade of John as much as I love John was you were going to get a guy in Westbrook who was going to bust his ass every single day and work right. his ass off every single day and he's going to push his teammates to be better which has been his MO his whole career so that was what you were going to get at worst at the worst even if Russ wasn't playing well you know as much as I love John he's not the leader that Russell Westbrook is it's not even up for debate um and I think that Russ has done a great job I think that they're definitely big on this culture you know this this new culture overhaul um and i think russ is is the perfect guy to lead it whether he's averaging triple doubles or not you know you couldn't ask for a better locker room guy than russell westbrook i genuinely believe there's not a lot of guys who are better in the locker room than russell westbrook um you know my problem with with the whole trade was yeah you can be better in the locker room if you put the right players in there you can actually have a good team so it's like that's the big thing um which they've kind of been so so at but that's more a front office thing um, and I was very critical of Russ when he started, you know, when he started the season, not because of the locker room stuff, but because you're taking, you know, a big chunk of their offense that's just going to him shooting mid-range jump shots that, you know, doesn't work for the offense you're trying to run, which was a non-existent offense because of the Scott Brooks stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I think all the criticism that he received was fair. He was not good. And he'll be the first one to admit that the injuries play a factor, but he was just bad. And I think that you know, between getting healthy and not getting named to the all-star team and things like that, I think that kind of, you know, put him in a new perspective where he can kind of play with a legitimate chip on his shoulder, not the, cause you know, when you're talking about Houston, when you're talking about MVP Russ, you know, he's going to work his tail off, but you know, 
he's the man, right? So I think that Russ has kind of really always been good at playing with a chip on his shoulder and kind of playing as that like kind of underdog, you know, tone setter. Um, and I think you, as much as I don't like giving the Wizards credit, I don't think you could ask for a better situation where he could come in and really be like an underdog, you know, chip on the shoulder type of guy. And between not getting the end of the all-star and being hurt and kind of hearing all the, you know, all the, all the talk, I think he kind of took that personally as he should have. And he, you know, went out and turned it around and got healthy and got Daniel Gafford. And, you know, he just looks, he looks comfortable, which took a while for him to, it took, it took him a while in Houston, as we saw with Harden, he didn't look overly comfortable, even though he was playing, you know, he was averaging 27, seven and seven or whatever it was. In the first, you know, two months of the season with Washington between the injuries and the COVID stuff, it, he didn't look comfortable. He looked like he was forcing it. He looked like he was pressing. He looked like he was, you know, he just didn't look like the Russell Westbrook we're used to, right? And, you know, between getting healthy and gelling and, and having a little bit of chip on his shoulder, I don't think we've asked for a, for a scary old Russell Westbrook than the one you see right now, as opposed to the Houston Russell Westbrook, at least. I'm not going to talk about OKC because that's a whole different beast. So... No, I think uh, it's a point well taken too. Like, I feel like, you know, even though these players are um, super driven for the most part, very hyper-focused, it, it, there's, uh, and even I'm, I'm sure you know as an athlete as well, there's nothing that I feel like um, you can really substitute in terms of that motivation you get from being slighted. Like you can mm-hmm. push yourself and you can have a strong mindset, but I'm sure missing the all-star game and maybe hearing some of the talk about him, um, that's that's going to do something for you that that you're not going to necessarily be able to duplicate on your own. Uh, that being said, where do you think his legacy is, you know, as a player? I, I, he's still got some years left and it's not over by any stretch of the imagination, but do you look at him as one of these players that – well, yeah, listen, I mean, they have great production, but um, you really have to put the perfect team around them in order for them to do well. Or do you or do you see it as, listen, uh, you know, he is he's is a fantastic player, you know, an amazing talent. Um, and he's one of maybe the, the 50 greatest or 60 or 70 greatest of all time. How do you how do you view Russ? It's such a tough question. I think the Russ debate is one of the tougher questions when you talk about just career trajectory. It's it's such a there's so many things, so many fascinating things about his career that are just kind of like because you know you look at the triple doubles and you look at how talented he is, but then you look at the Houston thing, you look at the you know Paul George situation and not making out of the first round. It's 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 interesting. It's just like how can you have a guy who's that you know that productive not win a whole lot realistically. Um, I think that his style of I think it I think what the problem with Russ is is not a, a testament to Russ and I think that's the word a testament I don't know yeah. um, <laughs> I think it's I think his play style is harder to maneuver with as a team so I think that when you have a guy who's not a great he's not a great shooter right he's he's he was been okay shooter for the Wizards this year but he's not a great shooter. He goes a hundred miles an hour every single time he has the ball and he wants to do something with the ball every single time he's on the court. When you kind of take that use, that, that legendary usage rating, it, it's tough to win when you're struggling, which I think is the big problem. So when you have Russ who's going hundred miles an hour, every single game and you get him in game six of the, of the first round and he's, 
you know, you get tired after you've played 90 basketball games and you right. kind of start to, you know, you start, you can see it with Russ. His last year in OKC, when they played Portland in the, in the playoffs, when, when Dame hit the, you know, hit the, hit the bye-bye shot, Russ just looked, he didn't look like his, his energizer bunny self. He still looked fast. He still looked like he was, but he, you can tell that like, he's it's taking a toll on him. And when he's not a hundred percent, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to win. Even if you have a James Harden or a Bradley Beal or whoever, because Russ had needs the ball in his hands as he should for his play style, it becomes harder to, succeed if he needs a breath of fresh air which is the which i think is the problem so it's and it's russ is a great player i'm never going to sit here and say he's not a winner because he is a winner but in today's nba when you have his play style and he can't go 100 percent every single second you start to you start to see where things can fall apart is kind of where i'm going with it so it's tough though tough to tough to tough to pinpoint for sure yeah. No, it, it definitely is. I think it's it's a it's it's definitely one of those debates that even after he's retired, I'm sure is gonna you know rage on for some time. Um, last last kind of big picture question: Do you think as as we get closer to the end of this season and whatever playoff run the Wizards may have, do you think that the best years of this franchise are going to include Russell Westbrook and Bradley Bill or? Do you think that the best chance that they have at finding, a, you know, another kind of um, golden era, whatever you want to call it, of, of Wizards basketball is going to be without those guys stripping it down, finding out what you really have in Rui, Denny, um, and just, you know, really em embracing the youth? Great question. <laughs> that is a fantastic question, Jeff. Um, it's it's tough to say Beal. So Beal, we have the, probably the best Bradley Beal we're going to see in his entire life right now. Right. He's averaging 30, you know, whatever it is, 33 points a game. Yeah. He can get any shot he wants whenever he wants. He he's, I mean, he's about as unguardable as he can get outside of, you know, the Kevin Durant's and the Steph Curry's obviously of the world. Um, the combo with Russ is, has actually, you know, fared better than you kind of thought it would. Um, it's the, the problem with the wizards is having two super max or excuse me, a super max and a max contract on the, on the cap sheet is the biggest problem. Cause you know, you, if you had Russ on a max and Brad on a max and had some, you know, some money to play with and have Davis Bertans plus another, you know, interesting, you know, role player type of guy, you know, I think they can do more. I, it's tough to maneuver and make this team a lot better than they are right now, just because of their cap situation, which is no, it's not Brad or Russ's fault. It's just, it's harder to build a team when that's the situation. So I think this next year, if they end this season on a positive note, whether that means winning a play in game, I don't think, you know, they're a first round, they're a first round exit team at best right this second. But I think if you can leave this season on a high note and, you know, hire a good coach and get a bench, you know, a nice couple bench pieces to bring in next year and continue to develop brewery and guys like that next season, if they can kind of carry it over could be the most interesting season they've had since the, the season a couple of years ago when John was went crazy and they went back and forth with Isaiah Thomas, um, which they were like a four seed. So I think they could be, I think that's probably their ceiling next year is like, if everything goes well, they can be a four or five seed. Um, 
the the youth breakdown part is kind of hard to describe only because I don't think that that cornerstone's on their roster right now. They decide to blow it up. So it's kind of like I'm a I'm more of a tank guy personally, but you know you can't tank it and get the 12th pick, right? Right. So I don't know. I I think that Rui and Denny and Gafford and guys like that are very solid building blocks. But you need you know rebuilds need that guy. They need that John ja Morant, that Jaron Jackson, that Zion Williamson, that Brandon Ingram. They need that cornerstone star to really rebuild. So I don't know if I can answer that question only because based on not having that, it, they would be, they'll probably be better right now. Um, if they ended up lucking into the lottery and getting Cade Cunningham, then I think that they should, you know, try to maneuver away from everything, let Russ play out his contract and then, you know, hand the reins over to, to Cade. And, you know, then you're talking about a team that could be really interesting in five years. Um, but right now with their kind of mediocrity standards, it's probably this team. Um, this is probably a 45 win team during a regular, you know, 82 game season, if I had to guess, which is for the wizards, unfortunately is like pretty, pretty good over their past 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but it's hard to call because you know, they don't really have a direction. If they had a direction and they were like, this is our squad, we're going to let Russ and Brad go and do their thing. I'd be like, Hey, you know, whatever works, you know, just, just go all in for it. Trade for miles Turner, you know, don't draft that 12th. There was a couple of Wizards Twitter people talking today about, you know, would you trade that pick for more immediate help? And my answer to that is if they, if it's going to help them right now and you can go all in on that, sure. You know, it's, it's, you know, Russ is on a super max, Brad's on a max. You have a couple of years left with them. Russ is realistically going to be done by the time his contract is up playing wise. Right. So it's like, if you want to give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, that's going to help more than a 20 year old rookie. That's the 12th pick for a team that has Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. Um, it's hard to to build, try to have a rebuilding roster with a team in win now mode with Brad and Russ. So, the other, yeah, it, it it definitely is. And and uh, what I just thought of something as you were talking. Uh, one one question I kind of wanted to pivot to off that is the other thing is too like everyone. All I mean, there's multiple ways to build an NBA franchise and. A lot of the conversation gets kind of like funneled into, oh, you're either tanking or you're like, you know, signing vets and going for now. But the other thing about tanking is like few front offices and and few franchises and fan bases like really have the stomach for it, I think. Right. And I wanted to ask yeah. you, like, do you think Tommy Shepard and, um, you know, whoever is is around him and the fan bases could really stomach a a full like listen we're going to be objectively bad for three or four years in a row and we are just going to acquire talent and develop it and see what happens do you think that that's something that washington would embrace if they came out in you know summer league or or preseason they were like this is the direction that we're going yeah it's so it's, it's interesting unfortunately the wizards you know, everything comes from up top just for, you know, like it does for every franchise. Ted Leonce is their owner. He's a, he's, I'll try to be nice. He's a, he's more of a money guy. We'll just say that. Right. So he wants the playoff money. He, I have a theory about him that, you know, between drafting Rui, drafting Denny and then trading for Russ, that's a lot of, that's a lot of uh, attention on your franchise that leads to more TV deals and things like that. But that's a conspiracy theory. So we'll skip that. But <laughs> I, I think that, um, if, it was, if it's up to Ted, which it is, they'll try to compete every single year, meaning 
they're better off probably trading that type of pick for for help and letting Brad and Russ do their thing, which if they want to do, you know, that's that's fine. You know, they with Russ's Supermax contract, you can't really do a whole lot even if you decide to rebuild. Mm. You can work with a handicap, but it's still, it, you know, it's not easy having a having a 33-year-old Russell Westbrook on your roster, you know, that's basically not tradable at the moment, plus a bunch of young guys. You know, it's difficult. I do think, however, Tommy Shepard has done a really nice job of kind of finding cheap diamond in the rough young prospects for nothing. So if you look at his track record, you know, he's gotten Bertans, Ethok Banga, who doesn't really play as much, Mo Wagner, who's gone now, but was an interesting guy for a little bit, Gafford, he drafted Rui. Like, he, he has an interesting track record with young prospects this far through. So with that being said, I think he would be a really interesting guy to lead a rebuild if they could luck into a top pick with like a, with like a foreshore guy. Right. So if they tanked and ended up with Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs or, or Cunningham, putting that being that guy as your next franchise guy and, and trying to get rid of Russ and Brad and then having this kind of like discount dollar store style that Tommy Shepard has would be a really interesting, it would be a very intriguing rebuild. You know, between, you know, when you look at the guys that he's already acquired there, a lot of them are, you know, if they weren't, if they weren't trying to compete now, it would be really interesting for rebuild and Rui and Denny and, and those guys and Bonga. So I'm actually kind of intrigued by what Shepard would be able to do in a rebuild. The, the owner won't let that happen. So he'll let Brad and Russ play and do that. Um, but I would be very intrigued to see him run a rebuild for sure. Um, they won't do that, unfortunately, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I, listen, man, I'm going to be watching them down the stretch as, as we come down here towards the playoffs. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they do and how they set up their off season as well, for sure. Um, listen, Jack, thank you, man, for spending some time tonight talking hoops. Uh, as always, please let the good people know where they can find you on Twitter. And if you're working on anything right now and want to promote, please do so. Yeah, man. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter. My Twitter is Jack underscore underscore Skolnick. Uh, my last name is spelled S-K-O-L-N-I-K. Uh, my Instagram is Jack.Skolnick. So give me a follow on either of those. Um, I'm also the creator of the Working Title Podcast, which is a music and sports podcast that I do with my friend, do with a couple of friends of mine. Um, we were based out of Baltimore, Maryland. So we, uh, a lot of our emphasis is on the Baltimore music scene and things like that. You can follow us on Instagram at Working Teapod or Twitter on Working Teapod. Um, you can also catch all my work at wizofoz.com. I'm a content creator for them, writing all things Wizards. Love doing that. Shout out to my, uh, my editor, Ethan Smith. Um, big major shout out to the HAA podcast, of course. Shout out to Jeff and Chip. Shout out to Colin Loring, all those yes, guys. Yes. You know, the whole squad. So, uh, I appreciate you having me on, Jeff. It's always a pleasure, man. Always, man. Listen, you, you got to get me on that working title pod. I, uh, I I rarely get to to spout off some music takes, but I'm always down. Uh, honestly, man, we could uh, we could definitely set something up. I'll get your uh, I'll get your your actual phone number. We could we could we could definitely set something up. So we can definitely do that. Absolutely, man. Always. Um, all right. Well, listen, we will talk to you soon. For all of the other listeners, we hope everybody is staying safe. And uh, the next pod should be this Thursday. Have a good one, everyone.